great to see you today, and I hope you had a great week. This has been a week for me where my wife has been uh, on a missions trip uh, with a group of ladies here from the church in Haiti, and so I am uh, looking forward to seeing her within about 24 hours, And because uh, my kids think that home cooking now is going out to eat. It's picking a restaurant. It's not bad, but anyhow, so, uh, and I've got a lot of cleaning of the house to do in the next 24 hours before she gets back, so uh, play, pray for me, all right? And but it's good to see you, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to um, Judges chapter 3, uh, to Judges chapter 3, and uh, I'm going to get there in just a minute. I, I want to talk, and, and really my message is actually pretty short, I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? And, uh, but but it, it's, a, it's very simple. But it's something that just, it's a thought that I keep coming back to. Now this is, uh, uh, in this past week, it's just been like I, I've tried to get away from this and think, yeah, it's just me, whatever. And, and, but I just keep coming back that this is the message, this is the word that I'm to give this weekend. And, and here's the reason. Um, in Scripture, uh, uh, I love the accounts in the Old Testament of men and women who do, did great things for God. I mean, I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by the, the David and the Goliath story. Uh, and they're not stories that, that makes it sound like it's fiction, but it's the accounts of that. Or how Moses leads the nation of Israel out of bondage and slavery and away from Egypt through the desert. Uh, Joshua takes him to the promised land. Um, Daniel in the lion's den, you know. Uh, Abraham, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I love how it, in, how it encapsulates the life of Abraham to say that he was on a journey looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I mean, they're just, just great. The problem, though, sometimes that I have, maybe you don't, is that sometimes, I know these were real people with real issues, with real weaknesses, just like we are. The Bible says there's only been one that was perfect. His name is Jesus Christ. But sometimes I have a hard time identifying with Abraham or with Moses or with David or with Daniel the lion's den. Maybe it's because I'm not leading a nation of millions of people that are basically refugees out of a foreign country to someplace else. Maybe it's because I haven't uh, faced a a real lion's den. I know there's some figurative things or, 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 or a real formidable giant. But what I do have a tendency to do is there are these obscure characters, these obscure people, sometimes with no names, in Scripture that I derive quite a bit of inspiration from. And I think it's because they're not always celebrated. They're not really talked about a lot. But I think I identify with them because they're, well, they're just kind of ordinary. And God puts them in these extraordinary situations. And God puts his super onto their natural. And God does great things. And for me, that's my hope, <laughs> is I can do natural real well. I can do ordinary real well. And so for me, it's a thing of God. I don't know that I'm the caliber of Moses or I'm the caliber of David or, or Abraham. But there are people in Scripture that I see that God just shines his favor on and God just does things, even sometimes in dismal situations. And it just brings a certain amount of inspiration. And there's a person in the Old Testament that I want to talk about in the book of Judges and Judges now is a book that, just to give you a little bit of background, it was written uh, after Israel has, they've left Egypt. They've been led by Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has died. Joshua now has become the leader. And Joshua takes them into the promised land. This was a land that was promised all the way back to Abraham. And, and so there is this promised land that they're taking a hold of. And here was the thing about the promised land. Up until that time... The Israelites were nomadic people. 
they weren't a warring nation. Uh, and they, they basically had been under slavery in Egypt, but now they had come out of that, and they were a free people. And, and the thing about the Promised Land is that all of there were 12 tribes or 12 groups um, in the nation of Israel, and 11 of them would have inheritance of the property. They would actually own property. They would homestead, if you would. And so each tribe would be given a, an area of the promised land, and then within that tribe, all of those families could, could pick out a plot of property. And what they would do is they were, were very agricultural people. They would uh, raise livestock, uh, ox and goats and sheep and cattle, and then they would, they would plant fields. And that's what they would do. And they had this unprecedented time in their history of prosperity and blessing. And, and God blessed them. The problem is, is that whenever we're blessed by God, whether it's the Israelites in the Old Testament or it's us, we typically kind of forget about God in the good times and that we really lean to him in the, in the bad times. And so this book of Judges, as with some of the other Old Testament books that we read, it's one of those deals where it kind of chronicles what happens. Now, it uses the word judges, and judges isn't like um, a judge, like a Supreme Court judge or a judge in a local courtroom with a black robe presiding to, to make decisions. A judge would basically, a better word for that would be a leader. And there were 13 leaders during this period of Israel's history because what happens is, is Joshua has passed on. There are these 13 judges throughout the book, the Judges Chronicles, that will lead the nation of Israel, not really like a president or a prime minister or like, or, or like a king, because the king will come later uh, in Samuel when Samuel will anoint King Saul, the first king of Israel, and then King David. But it's a time of, it's, the leadership kind of comes from the ranks. It kind of comes and it emerges. And in that, there are these 13 judges that the book of Judges talks about. And there's one judge that's probably my favorite of all the judges. And he's mentioned in two verses in the entire Bible. My whole message comes from those two verses. And they're not even together. And the guy's name is Shamgar. S-H-A-M-G-A-R. You ever heard of Shamgar? Anybody ever heard of Shamgar? Okay, great. I've got Bible college graduates in the room and nobody's heard of Shamgar. You probably never heard a message preached on Shamgar. I'm going to talk about Shamgar for the next few moments. Because to me, he's a fascinating individual. And I think he's somebody, by the time you leave here today, you'll be able to say, I can identify with Shamgar. And you probably won't forget that, at least not the name. Shamgar, the Bible says in Judges chapter 3, verse 31, Judges chapter 3, verse 31, after Ehud, which would have been one of the judges, came Shamgar, son of Anthon, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, period. He too saved Israel. I love that little phrase. That's what it says about Shamgar. Yeah, you want to know where I'm going to go with the whole message for that. Verse 30 tells us that Israel had been under a peace, a reign of peace under Ehud, the, 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 the judge that, that preceded Shamgar, for 80 years. That's a fascinating story, too, if you've got time to read that. It's Ehud and the fat man. It's, it's a very interesting story because it's what happens. But, but, but we're not talking about Ehud. So Ehud, so there's 80 years of, 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 of this peace. And again, remember, Israel's an agricultural nation. And so what happens is, is that they had, they had overcome the Moabites. That had been one of their enemies. Well, they overcome them, overcame them. Ehud helped them lead under that 80 years of peace. And all of a sudden, the Philistines, which was another adversarial group of people, they were a warring nation. Israel's not a warring nation at this point. Um, they're coming against Israel. And here's what's happening. Israel basically raised livestock and they raised... Uh, crops. I mean, you just think of, 
of, of central Wisconsin, right, where you just have farms and you've got cows, that's, that's Israel at this point in time. No red barns and silos. That'll come later, but right? So that's it. And the reality is, is that they would go in and do this. And in the fall, in the harvest times, the Philistines would come in and they would basically raid the farms. And so, so Israel would plant their crops and they would take care of their crops and water the crops. And then they would come in, the Philistines, and they would raid the grain and raid the crops. And they would take whatever livestock they wanted. And because Israel wasn't a warring nation, they began to shut down. Matter of fact, if you turn over to chapter 5, this is the second time where Shamgar's name appears in scriptures, only the two times. It describes the lack of public safety, the panic that's caused by these raids. In verse 6, And in the days of Shamgar, son of Anthon, the roads were abandoned, travelers took to the, to the paths. Verse 7 goes on to say that the village life in Israel ceased. And verse 8 continues, And not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Again, these are farmers. These are not warriors. Okay, this isn't Rambo, right? This isn't, this isn't Jason Bourne. This is, these guys are farmers. They're, you know, the farmer in the dale. I mean, they're just doing their thing. They're trying to live peaceful. They're not a warring nation. They're just there. And they have had this unprecedented peace and prosperity in their life. And 80 years ago, it was interrupted uh, by the Moabites, and God took care of them under the judge Ehud. And now there is this Philistine problem again. And the Bible tells us in verse 31 that we just read that Shamgar, for whatever reason, has his fill of the Philistines. And he takes an ox goad. Now, you understand what an ox goad is. An ox goad would be basically a stick, a staff, about two inches in diameter, anywhere from five to ten feet tall. And on one end, it would be sharp, like a point, because it would be used to prick the animal, uh, especially like oxen or, or cattle, um, and to prick them in order to, 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 to keep them, to get them moving, to get them to working, especially if they're working the fields and they're plowing the fields. And the other end would basically be like a chiseled end that would be kind of a flat end uh, that was used to basically pick the dirt and the mud off of the blades and off, of the, uh, off the plow. The Bible says Shamgar. This guy, we only know two things in, in, in Scripture. Takes an ox goad, a stick with a point on the one end and a flat chiseled end on the other. And kills. I'm, I'm just telling you. Just think about Don't get too sanctimonious with this. Kills 600 warriors. Now, you want to talk about a Jason Bourne moment? Like, you want to talk about, like, Matrix on steroids? I'm just telling you, when I get to heaven... And I get to that IMAX in the sky because there's a whole lot of this that I want to see like for myself because I believe we're going to be able to, the Bible says we're going we're to understand better, better by and by. We're, we're, we're going to understand and know. I'm getting a, a great seat and one of the shows I want to see is Shamgar defeats the Philistines. That's one of the movies I'm going to watch and I'm going to get myself a Diet Coke and a big thing or I'm going to get a regular Coke because there's no calories in heaven. Hallelujah. You know what I'm talking about? And some butter popcorn with extra butter and extra salt because there's no pulmonary issues in heaven and, and I'm going to watch him pull a full can out and whip them with a stick. I'm just telling you. It'll be showing at 2 o'clock. I'm just saying, I'm just going to be there. Because here's the deal is, here is this guy that Scripture says nothing else about. We know nothing else about. He's important enough that he's given a name. And not everybody in Scripture is given a name. There's sometimes they're just referred to as that person or that man or that woman. 
or they're referred to by what they do or by their infirmity, but he's given a name, and Shamgar has his fill, and he turns around, and he takes his ox goat, and he just goes off. And the Bible says that he, too, saved Israel. Peace under his reign. Now, here's what I want you to get. Here's the big deal. I'm going to give you my entire three points in a poem in this one statement. Right? I still got more time to speak. But here's this. Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. Shamgar. This is the whole message, folks. It's on the screen. Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. Let me say that one more time. Shamgar did what he could with what he had with where he was. That's it. And I'm going to show you for just a second why that's so important. First of all, let's look at this. Shamgar did what he could. Shamgar finds himself in a situation that he would have never chosen, he'd have never wanted. He's a farmer, for crying out loud. He doesn't want attention. He's only mentioned in two verses in the entire canon of Scripture. But yet what he's known for is killing 600 Philistines and restoring peace to God's people. Why? Does he have some great lineage? No. Does he have some great ability? No. He knows how to use a stick. Pretty good stick, but he knows how to use a stick. I mean, maybe he came up with a song, everybody was kung fu fighting. I don't know, but he had it on like Donkey Kong. But what we know is what he did, he did what he could do. He didn't pick up a shield. He didn't pick up a sword. The Bible says there wasn't one. He didn't go out and train. He didn't go out and, and try to find some ninja warrior to give him some, some, some great skill. He, he didn't try to invent something. He didn't, he didn't fast. He didn't pray. He didn't do anything overtly spiritual. He just had enough with these guys coming in and taking from them what was not theirs. And at one point in time, at that point, he was done with it. And he takes the one thing that he has in his hand, his work tool that he uses every day of his life, and he does what he can do. And guess what? God showed up. And here's the reality. I want you to get this. God only expects you to do what you can do. Nothing more. God doesn't expect you to do something that you don't have the ability to do. God doesn't expect you to do something that you're not equipped to do. God doesn't expect you to be something that you're not intended to be. God doesn't expect you to have a purpose that's not yours. God doesn't expect you to do what anybody else in this room has the ability to do. He doesn't expect you to be Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He doesn't expect you to be right. He doesn't expect, he doesn't expect you to be worthy. He just wants you to do what you have the ability to do. That's it. And something happens when we do what we have the ability to do in the natural. Then God shows up and slaps the super onto our natural. And great things happen. That's all Shamgar did. And how many times do we fail to make a contribution of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, whatever it may be. Because we say, my contribution won't matter. Nah. God expects you to do what you can do. Nothing more, nothing less. How many times do we say, well, I'm just not worthy. I'm just not good enough. That's not what God asks. He knows you're not worthy. He knows you're not good enough. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that none of us are righteous. No, not, no, not one of us. 
He just expects us to do what we can do. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And for somebody in the room, that's kind of like a sigh of relief. Like, you mean he doesn't expect me to be perfect? No. You mean he doesn't expect me to be everything all the time? No. You mean he doesn't expect me to be everything for everybody? No. You mean he doesn't expect me to have the gifts or the talents that, that, that so-and-so has? No. He doesn't expect me to have the money or the resources that so-and-so has? No. He doesn't expect me to have the... No. God will judge you and I based on what we did with what we have. But how many times do we become paralyzed and it becomes our excuse of why we can't do something? Because our contribution isn't big enough. Or our contribution isn't, well, who died, who died and made you God? Who died and made me God? No, here's the good news. God only expects you to do what you have the ability to do. Quit looking at what everybody else has. Quit looking at what everybody else can do. Quit looking at what you can't do compared to somebody else. God, doesn't, God never compares us to anybody else in Scripture. Anywhere in Scripture, God doesn't compare people. No, 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 no. Shamgar got this. I know how to use an ox goad. Man, does he know how to use an ox goad. And he destroyed 600 Philistines. And he, too, saved Israel. The second thing, he did with what he had. He did with what he had. Again, he, he had an ox goad. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a spear. But he didn't need one. He had an ox goad. He did with what he had. And here's the thing. God has given you what you need to succeed. Whatever it is that he's called you to do in life, he's given you what you need to succeed. He's given you the time or the talent or the treasure. And you go, but this, here, don't, be careful. Don't despise small beginnings. Be careful. God takes the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. Be careful. Little becomes much when God is in it. Be careful. Luke's gospel tells us when we're faithful with the little, God will make us ruler over much. Oh, you may not have everything, but you have what you need today to get you to the next place, to get you to the next place, to get you to the next place. That's the good news. Is God doesn't expect you to have it all together. God doesn't expect you to have all the answers. God doesn't expect me to have all the answers. All he expects me to do is to do what I can do with what I have. How many times have we spent hours, days, and energy, resources, focused on what we don't have? I, I hear people sometimes go, well, if I had a lot of money, I'd give it to missions. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't, you big fat liar. No, you wouldn't. Because you're not going to give 10 bucks to missions out of the 100 that you have. What makes you think you're going to give 100,000 to missions? Or 200,000 missions if you had a million bucks? Well, if I had money, I would tithe. I'd bring that 10% to the Lord. No, you wouldn't. Quit, quit lying to yourself. If you won't give a dollar out of 10, you'll never give 50 out of a $500 paycheck. Well, if I had more time, I, I'd volunteer for ministry. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because you find some other reason and some other excuse. Well, if, if I was talented, I, no, you wouldn't. Well, if I was, if I was like so-and-so, no, man, if, if I had... No, here's the deal is, God never expects me to give what you have the ability to give. Or you have the ability to give. Or you have the, he expects me to do what I can do. He doesn't expect me to operate with the giftings that you have or that you have or that you have. He expects me to operate with the giftings that he's given me, even if it's just that I know how to use an ox goad and that's all I can do. He says, I can use that. I, I can use that. 
Many times we just, we wait for ideal circumstances. We wait for supply. We wait for resources to come our way. And, and the word of God is, don't wait on God to send you something. He's already given you what you need to begin to do what he's called you to do. You may not have everything, but you got something. You may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And Shamgar knew this. And I'm just talking to somebody today. I'm telling you, I'm in your kitchen right now. And you have all these these half-baked excuses on why you can't do what God's called you to do. And I'm telling you, you have what you need. You may not have the, the harvest that you need, but you've got the seed to plant the harvest in your hands. But you've got to begin to sow the seed. You've got to begin to act. You've got to begin to do what you have the ability to do. And when you do that, then God shows up. So Shamgar does what he can with what he has the third thing is, is with where he was. He didn't pick the place. He didn't pick his time in history. He didn't pick the circumstance. I mean, he was living in a time and a place in his life where his property, his life, his family, his country were at the mercy of these Philistine thugs and thieves. And, but what he did do was he didn't paint himself as helpless and hopeless and he didn't wait for per- perfect circumstances. And he didn't wait for perfect materials to start. He started exactly where he was. He didn't wait for an army. He didn't wait for an arsenal. He didn't wait for, for, for the sword to come in that he had ordered from Amazon to be shipped and FedEx that he was going to get. And then, and then the video curriculum was going to teach him how to use a sword. He just simply, it's a joke, folks. He just simply said, this is what I have. This is where I'm at. And this is what I'm going to do. And I just want to make a statement. My dad used to say this to me. You can go anywhere from here. You can go anywhere from here. Where you're from is never a problem. The problem is where you're going. And, 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 and sometimes we think, I can't accomplish something because of where I'm from. Maybe that's a geographical location. Maybe that's a, a mental place. Maybe that's an emotional state. Uh, maybe that's some situation and circumstance. Well, you just don't understand, Aaron. You, you don't understand the family I was raised in. You, you, you don't understand the heartache. You don't understand the problems. You, you don't know what, what I've gone through. You, you don't know my history. And you're right, I don't. But I do know this, that you can get where God wants you to go from wherever. The, the place that you start is not what's important. It's the destination that's important. And, and the reality is, is that God knows exactly where you are, and he placed you there. Have you ever thought about that? He placed you in the town, in the city, and he knows the circumstances. Yeah, but I made some wrong choices, and I know that God didn't make those choices. Yeah, but he knew you were going to be there. He's God. He can take the expanse of your time and stop it in history and look at it from a 360-degree angle and see how your life uh, affects before, after, during, in the eschaton of time. He's God. He's not have some peon brain that we have. He's God. He has no beginning and no end. And the reality, the good news is, is that he understands. And the dream that he's placed in your heart and the desire that he's placed in your heart has not been to frustrate you. It's to prove himself. And many times he reduces us before he promotes us. And so God just simply decides sometimes, I'm going to do this, there, 
it's done. And he looks for someone. And, and, and the, the question is, isn't, is God big enough to do it? The question is, are you believing that you can do what it is that God's called you to do right where you are? Yeah, yeah, but I need to change companies. I didn't ask you that. If God, if God wants you to change company, he's going he to move it. And listen, listen. If God can create the world in six days and speak it into existence, if you need to move jobs, I think he can handle that one. Well, it's not going to happen in this address. Listen, if God needs to move you, he'll move you. See, we, we, we underestimate the power that God has. And we, under, and we underplay how this great God wants to interplay into our life. For some reason, I don't understand it. And he loves, he delights just to go, boom, I'm going to give some favor here. Boom, I'm going to give some favor here. I'm going to open a door here. I'm gonna do... and, and when we trust in him with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding, he guides and directs our paths. And I'm telling you, wherever you are, whatever that means, you can go anywhere from there. And you can do anything that God has placed in your heart. Well, how are you so certain that God's placed things in my heart? Because that's what his word says. That he'll give you the desires of your heart, meaning that he's given you desires. Jeremiah says he's given you a future and a hope. And without a dream, without a vision, you die. That's what Proverbs says. That's why you dream. That's why you aspire. That's why. And the world in which we live in knocks it out of you. It tries to shrink you down like a pair of Levi Buttonfly 501 jeans. It just tries to shrink wrap it out of you. And if you will be shrink resistant and you will listen to the Lord and not look to yourself, if you will do what you can with where you are with what you have, God will show up. If you will do with what you have with, with where you are, with what you have the ability to do, God will show up. That's all he asks you to do. He doesn't ask you to do what you don't have the ability to do. He doesn't ask you to move to do that. And he doesn't ask you to do something that, that you're, that's beyond your own resource. He wants you to do what you can with where you are, with what you have. And when you do that, he shows up. That's great news. Because if you're in a dead-end job today, that means God can move. If you're in a situation where you're in a hopeless situation relationally and you go, man, you don't understand what's happening in my marriage. No, but I understand a God who can restore. That's great news. But I'm just a 13-year-old kid and I want to change the world. If you will do what you can do with where you are with what you have, God will see to that. I love what the Bible says. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed on the streets begging for something to eat. So what does this mean? What's a so what? Well, first of all, I just want to say this. I want to remind us, as a church, this is awesomely displayed in the local church. That when we all come together, and when we all do what we can with what we have, with where we are, God shows up and he blesses it. Whether it's missions, whether it's a a church facility to be able to reach more people, whether it's a ministry. I mean, West Campus, there's a vibrant campus of people in the western suburbs along the 94 corridor. Why? Because we believe that God wanted to do something. And we didn't know if it would work, but we're not going to be paralyzed by fear. So we did what we could do with what we had with where we were, and boom, God showed up. <laughs> That's how it works. Did we know it was going to work? No. Did, did we have all the answers? No. We still don't have answers. Oh, my goodness. I have more questions than I have answers. If you knew how many questions I had and a few answers I'd have, you would just pack your bags up and go to another church. I'm just telling you. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, but I know one who has. I look at the Germantown campus. 
That's all we've done here. We did what we could do with where we are, with what we have. And in this 10,000 square foot building, there'll be 1,000 people here this weekend. Here. Why? Because God is not bound. God has no limits. The only limits that God has is you and me. And if we will do what we can do with what we have, with where we are, God will show up. So what does this mean for you? It means this. Don't forget the purposes that God has for you. And don't forget that God's not limited by you or by me. If we will simply do what we can do, that's all he wants you to do. If we will simply do with what we have, he's not asking you to give more than you have the ability to give, whether it's your time or your talent or your treasure. And we'll do it right where we are. God will show up. God will show up. Are you doing what you can do with what you have, with where you are? That's all he asks. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you for your people. And God, I thank you that we serve, Lord, uh, that you're alive, that you're on the throne, Lord. You're high and lifted up. Lord, you are holy. And God, we're holy not because we're perfect. We're holy not because we're forgiven. We're holy because you are holy. And when we are in you and you are in us, you don't see us with our flaws and with our imperfections. But you see us through the eyes of grace. At the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sin. You see us as redeemed and as whole and as pure. Not because we are, but because you are. And Father, I just pray for people here today. They just feel beaten down. They just feel downtrodden. God, that they would have that spirit of Shamgar. And they would do what they can do. Not what anybody else can do, but what they can do. That they would ask themselves the question, am I doing what I can do? Not what I want to do, not what I'd like to do, but what I can do. Am I doing what I can do? With where I am. Not where I want to be, but with where I am. God, with what I have. And I pray, God, that you, through the vehicle of the person of the Holy Spirit, would just speak to every one of our hearts. And that we would just contemplate that and ask ourselves the question. And if we are doing what we can with what we have, with where we are, then God, let us not become weary in doing good. But in due season, if we don't quit, we'll have our reward, Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says. And I pray if we are doing what we, have, what we can with where we are, with what we have, that you would give us strength today, that this message would just be faith. It would just be fuel to our fire because your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let faith arise. And if we need to make some course corrections, if we need to get out of our pity party that we have, God, if we need to really look at ourselves in a real way the way you see us, then let us make those adjustments and do what we can do with what we have, with where we are. Lord, in order, in order, God, to please you, to fulfill our purpose that you have for us in this life, and ultimately to stand before you. 
and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of great exploits, not because there were biblical pages written about us, but because we did what we could do with what we had with where we were. In Jesus' name, amen.